Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 75. Is it 75? It is 75. Wow! Of the F1 show for coverage of the 2010 British Grand Prix from Silverstone, England. I'm Robin Warner. I am Jim Lau, and we have a recap of news. We've got all the latest awesome developments and the inter-team rivalries and all that. A update, because it's the middle of the season, to uh, see where all the standings are and, and who's the, the better driver in each of the teams, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned. Well, a relatively quiet couple of weeks since the race in Valencia. However, there were some things that came out that were quite interesting, most notably Bruno Seno not taking part in the British Grand Prix this coming weekend. Yes, and this just barely came out during the race weekend. It was like, uh, you know, Thursday night or something they yeah. they uh, uh-huh. made the announcement. But, uh, yeah, so Sakan Yamamoto will take Bruno Senna's place in the HRT's, uh, in, in the HRT team. And uh, it was apparently kind of a shock to Bruno and his supporters and all that, yeah. uh, but just uh, came down to money with uh, the kind of sponsorship money or just, you know, the payment that uh, Yamamoto could bring to the team. Uh, but shortly thereafter, it was then announced, I think during qualifying, uh, that yes. uh, it was just for this race weekend that, you know, Bruno's guys had worked some deal or right. who knows what happened behind the scenes. The original sounding of it was is that Sakon was replacing him for the season. Yes. And it turns out that's not the case. It turned, you know, something happened. Uh, maybe this was just all, you know, some big bluffing or whatever. But um, Bruno Senna will be back in the car for, uh, you know, the next race and on to the rest of the season, which, of course, casts some doubt on Karen Chandok. Will, yeah. If Sakan Yamamoto's got all this money and they're willing to have him as a driver, uh, that could mean bad news for Chandok. Um, and there's been nothing official out since then. But, uh, yeah, for this weekend, it was uh, Yamamoto in the car and not Bruno Senna. Yeah, and I really actually hope that Karen Chandok stays in. Uh, if not for any other reason other than it's nice to have an Indian driver um, taking part, I think Karun's done a very good job in the car. And I think, I, I don't know for certain, but he must have brought money himself. Yeah. So uh, I don't know exactly how that's going to work out. Sakon did not unimpress. I don't think he's ever impressed in his now 16 starts in Formula One or whatever it's been over the years. And uh, certainly, I'm sure, a very good driver, just not quite Formula One material. Right. But speaking of Formula One material, uh, Mark Webber, actually in the Red Bull team, took to London before the British Grand Prix and did some interesting uh, filming and actually did a pit stop and everything right on city streets. Actually, what I read is he did several spits pit stops he had this like little loop and then every other lap he'd come in for a pit stop and they just went over and over yeah. and over again and the filming is an interesting sort of loophole in the testing rules because you only have such limited testing just you know just on track during friday practices and so on but if you need to film the car for promotional purposes well you can do that and right. there's limitations as far as the speeds you can go and all that right but practicing a pit stop is still very valuable for a team and so uh to be able to um, you know, both get the cars out on the street in front of people and in London. I mean, that's really, you know, exciting thing, especially for all the British fans and the lead up to the British Grand Prix, but also to get valuable pit stop practice with the car actually, you know, driving in, changing wheels and tires, driving out and, and just getting going through that rhythm and I think uh, was helpful good. for him too. But I, I mean, truthfully, I mean, I, I don't think they set this up so they could practice pit stops and it was all a big scam or anything like that. I think it was just a nice little... Hey, it'll also be a nice chance to get some practice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What was weird about it, though, is that the streets that he was running on weren't completely closed off. It yeah, was that's like what I, redu- I mean, it wasn't <laughs> bumper-to-bumper traffic, but there were, like, taxis going through yes. there and just people in cars. Yes. And, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, especially here in the U.S., I don't know, just all the, the liabilities and all that people would be so worried about that I just cannot imagine something like that happening because right. they'd be like, this car doesn't have headlights or windshield wipers. <laughs> he doesn't have turn signals. Well, no yeah, one will know like, which oh, way yeah, he's going. Well, yeah, you can do this. We just have to close down all the roads and create a five-mile radius and 
there has to be balloons set up so people could see and you know to plan all the detours right, in every exactly. direction yeah so it was, it was pretty cool actually so thanks to uh, some fans for posting that on the on our facebook page we'll, we'll you know get to them and feedback but um so that was that was a cool little uh, sort of in the in the run-up to the british grand prix um but also uh, in in a little bit separate from that is there's been uh, some more news lately with uh, bernie ecclestone and talks with some more new circuits so yes. as of course you remember we have uh, the korean grand prix going to be on it's on the calendar this year and that's coming up in a few months despite there has been some doubts here and back there have been some doubts but nothing or that's not, but it, nothing Super substantiated. Yeah, um, with their, you know, with the plan for India uh, next year, 2011, the U.S. Grand Prix, as we've talked about back on the calendar for 2012, yeah. uh, and then they've also talked about a uh, a circuit in Russia, possibly a street circuit in Moscow or somewhere else. Um, that's a, a big business interest. Well, actually, I mean, all these, you know, Korea, India, the U.S., and Russia, all just sort of, you know, big markets for uh, all kinds of the, you know, the banks and all the other sponsors. Is in Russia F1. that big of a market? It though? is. Yeah. Um, and then uh, also they okay, talked then. about uh, <laughs> South Africa. Being back on the on the grid, um, which obviously you know they have been in South Africa uh, you know long ago, right? And uh, for a long time too. I mean, yeah, it was that it was, was, a, that was a, a classic Grand Prix uh, for a while. And uh, I remember talking to a, a Formula One fan from South Africa. This was in another context through work, um, but he said, you know, the the moment they announce a, a, another Grand Prix in South Africa, as soon as the, the tickets are on sale, they'll be sold out immediately. He says there's just so many fans yeah. that uh, are just you know really miss the sport and would absolutely just take up the chance. To, uh, to to visit the Grand Prix because think about someone in South Africa um, how far you'd have to travel I mean the nearest to races anywhere I think would be uh, would be you know Bahrain and Abu Dhabi um, and those are you know really high dollar uh, you know people you know you've got to have all kinds of money to uh, to get there from all the rest of the world and and then you know, close you're still... is still a very relative term when right you're just traveling I mean, from the south of the African continent to anywhere yeah maybe just as close to go to brazil or something so it's 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 kind of wild and uh so anyway to have a grand prix in that part of the world unfortunately it doesn't make probably quite as much sense business-wise because i don't think it's as big of a market uh as as the others but uh it would be cool to see that and certainly for the fans which is a shame though that the the fact that you'd sell out of this grand prix almost guaranteed isn't a driving force to take you there but that it's business partnerships it's it's the reality of the times, but it's also kind of a sad statement of where we are today. And you know what I mean? It's like it just kind of bums me out. Yeah, and I feel the same way about some other South American racing. I mean, there's so much racing and, and sort of at a grassroots level that goes on in you know, Argentina and Colombia and uh, and Mexico as well. And you know, those aren't big business interests, so we haven't had a Mexican Grand Prix for a long sure, time. And sure. uh, you know, it'd be cool to uh, to you know get back to that, but it's just you know business wise doesn't make sense right now. And and who knows? But uh, anyway, so that could be interesting to uh, to you know see if there's any other announcements or whatever uh, uh bernie ecclestone was talking about potentially building a new circuit outside cape town and you know it could be three years four years off in the future and you know sort of they're in talks and who knows where that'll happen but uh anyway i look forward to seeing uh, a track in india um it would be cool actually if uh you know karen chandok or maybe even the return of narayan kartikeyan um, sure. at, at force india now that there are actually you know more than there's more than one uh you know, reasonable Indian driver, um, and to be able to, uh, like Sakhan Yamamoto, Yamamoto. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be cool to, uh, you know, get, get some new venues and, uh, it would also be cool to get some on this side of the world, but Hey, I think let's, you know, spread the, uh, spread the racing around. This is the section where we bring you some of the culture or the background and the, you know, the flavor of the, the local culture and the continent of, of the race that we're working with today. Uh, so Silverstone obviously has just a majestic history with the first official Grand Prix in the modern, uh, modern era and all that was held here. Uh, it's just been a, a legendary track. And to celebrate that, we are going to have some fish, fish, and chips. fish and chips. Fish and chips. Oh man, this is one of our. We've been looking forward to the uh, the, the food part of this whole you know British experience for so long, dude. This might seriously. The last time I had fish and chips was last year for the British Grand Prix, 
and I've been thinking about it ever since. I want my fish and chips. However, I have to say there is going to be an American slight on mine. I am putting tartar sauce on mine because I do like tartar sauce. I'm sorry. That's just the fact of the matter. Vinegar and everything else, fine, but... Yes, there's so much, so many other ways we could take, you know, the British Grand Prix. You know, we should have uh, what chicken tikka masala or something, or we could. I mean, there's so many <laughs> get, different. We could have get a good curry, what, sure. pork bellies. There's all all kinds of things. Well, but bangers my fiance is talking. Yeah, bangers and mash. That's uh, what she wants. But fish and chips, though, man. I mean, that's just for that's that's like an F1 show classic for the Maybe British we'll Grand Prix. Maybe we'll even have a pint. Oh, a cheeky pint as well to oh, go along yeah, with it. Absolutely. No, uh, I, I can't wait. I mean, I think uh, Jim, you more than me, obviously you've experienced a lot of it, but. Uh, British culture, you know, there's a lot of things about British culture that Jim and I actually, you know, are quite fond of, enjoy. I'm a big tea drinker, for example. And um, I think uh, of all the races, this is the one we enjoy celebrating the culture side of the most. Yes. Although, once there's a U.S. Grand Prix and we can do, like, cheeseburgers or something, that'll, oh, I know, that'll yeah. be a good one, too. I think, though, that since it's Austin, we're going to have to do barbecue. Oh, that's sounds You know, like the that, southern that barbecue. That does sound kind of, of Or, you know, like, roast a pig. Yeah. In time, well, I guess that's kind of a bar. All right. So you know what I'm we uh, so yeah. So we had delayed coverage from Fox today, which kind of messed with our schedule a little bit. So we're actually recording this before uh, doing our official trip out to get fish and chips. So uh, I hope it uh, hope it goes well. I'm, I'm it'll looking, go well. Looking forward to fish and chips. The only thing that we're a, a little bit concerned about is uh, getting bogged down by uh, World Cup traffic because uh, that's not really our thing so much. But yeah, as long as we can get a table, we don't really care. Apparently, there's a soccer game going on. Yeah, yeah. and it's it called call soccer, it soccer, by the way. Yes. <laughs> okay, of course, with all the hype and everything built up about McLaren being a British manu- uh, constructor, obviously, with two world champions both having to be British, Jensen Button, Lewis Hamilton, you know, all eyes were on McLaren for Friday practice, and of course they had a big new development package coming with their blown diffuser and all these cool bits. Certainly they were going to be fastest, and... They were not. No, not even close. Holy crap. Yeah, they, so big step back apparently for McLaren. Uh, so it was, you know, all the, also, I mean, so it's build-up. It's the leading the world championship. You know, they're all, it's it's Britain. It's a, re, you know, change around in the track configuration, so it's like, oh, this is all going to be great. Uh, some high-speed sections that, you know, hey, that uh, our F-duct should work well. And uh, this blown diffuser will just be the icing on the cake, and it was not to be. So they were just really down there in practice. It wasn't icing on the cake. It was more like icing on the wings that screw the wings effectiveness <laughs> up. I mean, it, it just it did not work. And the one interesting conversation they were having on speed coverage was the whole idea of the blown diffuser using the exhaust gases to add more downforce with the diffuser, making the diffuser more efficient, requires you to be on the gas. So it's actually a bigger delta of grip between when you're on the gas as opposed to being off it, as opposed to having the exhaust gases blown up high and it's more of a neutral air area, and that somehow Red Bull's gotten around that and McLaren hasn't quite sorted that out. Adrian Newey just is like physics Jedi, man. I don't know exactly how that works, but the other thing is I don't think... McLaren's not the only other team with a blown diffuser now, so I don't think it's just Red Bull that's got it sorted out, or maybe, I don't know, maybe McLaren just... You know, zigged when they should have zagged on something, and it's just not quite right. Yeah, and uh, the other big story, uh, you know, coming out of practice was this is the first, uh, not the first F1 car being run on the on the refamped circuit, but the first proper F1 session. And uh, man, that transition from the old to new circuit uh, into, into the arena bumpy. complex, there is sort of a giant bump. Uh, Vettel says it's like falling off a chair every time you go over it. But that kept catching people out. I mean, like I remember the Force yeah. India is having a whole lot of trouble on doing these half spins almost every other lap getting yeah. around there. Uh, and and so yeah, there was sort of that 
Uh, you know, the teams did have a map. They knew what the circuit was all about, uh, the, you know, the, the, the lengths and how long the straights are and sort of could figure out gearing and wings and all that. Uh, but they did not know about, you know, some of the surface of it. And that's really unfortunate when it's all this brand new, uh, you know, brand new tarmac in there that there's this giant bump in the track. It's sort of like a lot of like Bahrain where they had mm-hmm. the, uh, onto the onto the new twisty, useless part of the track that uh, <laughs> just these big bumps that just unsettled all the cars. It was, uh, right. yeah, it's sort of too well, bad. And it's one of those things where it's probably not that big of a bump at all, but it, that the, the Formula One cars are carrying so much speed through there that it is definitely enough to be unsettling um, because you're just going so fast and you're loading the car up with a fair amount of side load. So it's just... Uh, I'm, I'm just, usually pretty unsettled when falling off a chair. So if that's what it's like, then yeah. I feel for them. Yeah, fair enough. But, but uh, despite all that, the funny thing is, you know, people were all over the place in practice. They got themselves sorted out in the race. Which always happens, yeah. Right. Um, and also in practice, uh, Mercedes were, was looking a lot better. They actually, uh, Nico and, and ye old Schumacher were uh, were up there in the in the time charts. And uh, there has been some discussion with the team that uh, Schumacher's idea is to sort of forget the, the, the 2010 car. Um, it is what it is. We'll just drive it. But let's say, let's switch development right now to the 2011 car, sort of pull a brawn or whatever if and you And Nico will. Rosberg's like, hold on. <laughs> Nico Rosberg's like, hold on. Just because you don't have any championship points here doesn't mean that I don't, you know. <laughs> right. So, uh, so, yeah, maybe Nico's right to uh, keep developing the 2010 car. I mean, this, this car's, you know, it's not that far off that it should be written off. I mean, they're not in Honda territory. To yeah, I mean, it depends, I guess, on what their goals are. If their goals are to win the championship and then if they're not going to win the championship, I think that's pretty clear. Um, but they're definitely, they're, definitely if they're not a front-running team, they're definitely by far the strongest mid-pack team, but I think it would be fair to call them a front-running team at this point. And uh, I think I think it's unreasonable to give up on the car so much earlier than many of the other teams because, I mean, if you look at even what Williams is doing, uh, uh, Sauber is doing, I mean, they could they could shuffle and Renault. And they Renault keeps knocking on the door. Yeah, they yeah. could shuffle way back if they give up on the development of this car. That's true. We're still only just over halfway in the season too. I mean, there's still a lot of 2010 left to uh, yeah, left to run. Absolutely. So yeah, I think we're all with Nico on this one. So for qualifying, starting with Q1, uh, there was some some drama going on there. Um, Vettel's uh, the, the nose of his car actually just fell off. Yeah, like, just well, that not even fell off. Just like. Uh, collapsed, yeah, and just kind of sat on the ground. Yeah, so the uh, it's like the the support, you know, the the pins or the little screws or whatever on the sides where they can do those front wing changes or those nose changes. Um, it's like the top ones or something uh, failed, and the, the whole nose just kind of, uh, yeah, came loose or whatever. And uh, so there was, you know, some some question about what's going on with that. I mean, uh, you know, Vettel did uh, was able to, to continue on after that, and uh, we'll talk about more what happened with that later. Um, Yamamoto, you know, Mr. New Guy, uh, Mr. Bringing the Money, qualifies dead last. Yep, that's about right. Um, Al Gashwari was out in Q1 along with the usual bottom, you know, bottom uh-huh, six runners. Uh-huh. Uh, Petrov's Renault died in Q2, so he ended up last of, uh, of Q2. That, right. was, that was unfortunate. We don't... Which is too bad. I mean, he, he looked pretty quick in parts of the weekend yes. yeah, up until then. But, uh, man, so Button. I don't know. I, that was so frustrating. 14th place 14th. he qualified Ugh. out in Q2. Just that is a sad result for him. British British car, British driver, British defending defending world championship in front of a British crowd. Yeah, fourteenth place. Yeah, I, I I don't know what to say. He's he was, never done well at Silverstone. Yeah, and he said the car was undrivable, but then it was the same car he was in the next day, and you know we'll get to that in a second. I mean, so I don't know what happened there. I mean, he's never been as good at qualifying as he has been at racing. I I, I think that's pretty true, and. 
but this is above and beyond. Yeah, this is this is unfortunate for him. Um, also, but I, I do want to give a shout out actually to uh, Ruben Sparacello. Great drive getting into Q three. Uh, you know, oh, real, yeah. real solid performance for him. Um, but the Red Bulls, man, the only cars uh, into the one they minute twenty nine so seconds. So much faster than everybody else. They just so much faster. Have it sorted. This, you could uh, see it through cops, maggots, and Becketts. Mm-hmm. It was incredible how much quicker they were than other cars. Yeah, and it seemed like they were pretty easily flat through cops. And I don't think any, almost anybody else was in that situation. Yeah, everyone else would do uh, at least uh, a lift or, or a tiny bit of brakes and sometimes a downshift uh, into, through cops as well. And, the, and yeah. the Red Bulls were just like, oh, just a little turn, no, right. no problem. Exactly. Maybe they maybe they lifted off the throttle just a tiny bit, but, I mean, they were well far and beyond. And I think it was, what, six tenths on third place? Yeah, it was, know, a, it was it was just huge. It was a big jump, um, and that, but actually Weber, they you know they they time these all down to the to the tenth, you know, of, of when they get in to change tires, when they going you know to do their their final run, to do warm up, their hot lap, and all that. But uh, Weber just barely missed the checkered flag to get his one last you know potential flying lap, um, and it uh, and so you know he ended up finished you know qualifying second. Um, but uh, that's you know added to some of Weber's frustrations from the weekend. But uh, yeah, so the, it's like the timing didn't quite come out right. You know, he was uh, you know he crossed the line and uh, you know that became his last lap, and it looked like he was sort of set to do another one. So that it didn't quite work out for him there. Um, but the other thing I want to mention uh, is Schumacher qualified tenth today, and Rosberg was fifth. Yeah. So good job, Nico. But man, Michael Schumacher. I I know. I don't know what to say. I mean, there were, definitely seemed like he was. Starting to come back on, um, you know, race six, seven, eight. But then these last couple of races, it's just been falling off again. I, you know, I don't know what to say. I think maybe, maybe he's a little bit more sensitive to how well the car is suiting him for him to be quick than Rosberg is. So you know, Rosberg can adapt better than he can now. Maybe. I mean, we can say a lot of maybes. Edge. But I mean, it, yeah, but it is. I mean, that's what it is. It's a lot of maybes. That's a big. That's a big difference. I mean, all joking aside, I mean Schumacher uh, commands our respect of, for sure. And uh, but uh, you, I, if anything, that just means that Nico deserves even more credit because Nico's done an incredible job. And uh, you know, I, I think it's good for good for Rosberg, and I think Rosberg is proving his worth. Yes, and the guy I think we need to get most credit to for Saturday performance is Sebastian Vettel. Just class of the field yet again. Absolutely, uh, be, you know, absolutely best of the teammate. So yeah, solid pole for Vettel. Weber in second, and Alonso in third. So uh, you know, good job for getting the Ferrari up there. Uh, Hamilton ended up fourth place for qualifying, and uh, Rosberg fifth, like we mentioned, is a quick rundown of the top five. Good stuff. With all the history, along with the pomp and circumstance that makes up the British Grand Prix, expectations are always high, and despite this, Silverstone delivers year after year. 2010 proved to be no exception, after Mark Webber made the most of a fantastic start on the dirty side of the track to pass his pole-sitting teammate and continue to drive flawlessly for 52 laps and win the British Grand Prix. Not bad for a number two driver indeed. Behind the Australian, Lewis Hamilton also leapt off the line and immediately tore ahead to gain second place, benefiting from Vettel's puncture. Hamilton was the one and only driver to keep pace with Weber and displayed incredible natural talent in front of his home country. Vettel, for his part, raced hard and clean and did well to keep his car off the armco after Alonso's front wing stabbed his right rear tire to cause the aforementioned puncture at the start. This cost Vettel to lose every place possible. The Red Bull driver carried on after a pit stop 
and managed to capture seventh place from the grips of failure. Though his pass on Sutil for that position was less hero and more bully. More on that coming up. Another man that benefited from Vettel's hardships was McLaren driver Jensen Button, who apparently found out that the e-brake on his McLaren was engaged during qualifying. The reigning world champion went on to grab 10 places from his 14th position on the grid, mostly gained by a blitzing race start and a well-thought-out strategy, passing many cars in the pits. But in the end, he could not manage to get around Nico Rosberg driving a revitalized Mercedes. Nico gained two places above his already impressive fifth-place qualifying position and now sits sixth in the championship with 90 points. That's 54 points above his quad-decade-age, multi-champion, musty-smelling teammate Michael Schumacher, who finished ninth today in Britain. Fifth place went to the vastly improved Williams piloted by Ruben Barrichello, scoring a valuable 10 of the 11 points earned by the Cosworth-powered team. Behind him, another impressive run for Kumui Kobayashi in the Sauber. The Japanese working hard to earn F1 show's coveted, most like Takuma Sato award in 2010. And after three Germans crossed the line, Vettel, Sutil, and Schumacher, one more, Mr. Nico Hulkenberg, drove well enough to earn one single point for 10. Jim, give it up for Mark Weber. Yes, just a brilliant job from the Canberra Milk Kid this weekend. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. I mean, right from the start, Vettel blamed his poor start on the clutch problem, but then again, Vettel always says that anything he does badly is a technical problem. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he just, you know, Mark Webber just got out in, in front, just, you know, had no mercy with Vettel. I don't think he did anything unfair, but just as proper racing, like... It's, it's, not, it's not necessarily the kind of racing you'd see against two amicable teammates, but... It wasn't. It the, wasn't a cheap move. Either. There's nothing yeah. Weber did wrong. Right. Weber had the line and he took it, and he did a great, great job. Yes. So yeah, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Vettel ended up just totally getting the short end of that stick. Um, and I think if Vettel had backed off a little bit and sort of, you know, conceded, okay, Weber's made it around me. I'm going to back off a little bit and yeah. and not go crazy. Um, if you know, if cooler heads were were there to prevail, could have um, passed him back. Could have whatever. Could have should have maybe. Red Bull team probably would have. Worked hard to make that happen for him in the pits anyway. So, yeah. I mean, uh, but man, so I, I mean, okay, some part of me, I was actually sort of like excited to see the, the Red Bull guys take each other out, and then like my boy Hamilton would go on <laughs> and do well, but because uh, Alonso also had a terrible start. But, but I mean, yes. Weber just just owned it today. I mean, he, he sort of like, all right, get, get this Vettel kid out of my way. Uh, and then he just went on and just had the pace. I mean, Lewis Hamilton was close at points, and uh, and as he, as uh, Mark Weber said after the race, um, you know, we kind of had a battle in terms of lap times. And if he started gaining on me, I'd push some or whatever, just because they weren't neck and neck right. on track. Um, you know, they were still uh, they were still competing. But I mean, any time Hamilton started pushing Weber, he could just respond, and he just had the speed that he needed and just just dominated. It was just a great performance. Yes, absolutely. It seemed like I would say the first two, three, maybe even four laps, Hamilton's pace was as good as Weber's. But once the car settled down just a little bit, and you burned off a little bit of that fuel. Um, the uh, the Red Bulls found their own, and maybe it was just a tire temp issue. And um, once they really got going, got up ahead of steam, there, there was just no stopping Red 
uh, Weber. And and even with the uh, mid-race safety car, that didn't phase him. Yep. Uh, you know, he just did everything well. But the the start of the race was beautiful. Yes, there was. I mean, there was so much going on. So so Vettel got a poor start. Uh, Alonso had a terrible start. Miserable. I mean, you know, he started third, so he's on the clean side of the track. He, you know, there's a good opportunity to to do well from there. Um, but we just saw cars just flying past him. So it was. Uh, but the clean side of the track, it definitely at the front was not an advantage because both Hamilton and Weber shot off like rockets. Yeah, in this case, it wasn't. And. Uh, and, and you know, and Robert Kubica got right around Alonso at the start as well. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and then you know, obviously Hamilton, uh, you know, making his move. So it was yeah, you know, really you know, very dramatic start. And actually, you know, no retirements right out of that. I mean, uh, you know, it was a big problem for Vettel. He had a puncture because um, he ran wide, and I think he came back on and and, and just just barely collided with uh, Alonso. But uh, so he had a puncture, whatever. But it was it was it was you know, I wouldn't say clean, but it was it all kind of worked. You know, the uh, the whole field kept going and. Um, so, which which means that when Vettel rejoined after you know after doing his pit stop and all that, he was running in twenty fourth spot for a while until uh, until he worked his way up and had the advantage of other people pitting and all that. So yeah, um, and and Vettel had all these issues and and ended up doing much worse despite having a fancy brand new wing that Adrian Newey uh, designed. Uh, as I understand it, it was originally they had one each for both drivers. Yes, um, Vettel damaged his. Well, that's in Q1. I think that's the um, – or no, it was before qualifying. Yeah, it was P3, I thought. Yeah. Um, and, um, and he damaged his and – or maybe it was Q1. I don't, I don't know. But I can't imagine that they – either way. Between sessions, yeah. It could have been. But either way, um, for whatever reason, uh, they only had one of the trick new wings out. Uh, they both got one. Vettel's got damaged. They took the wing off of Weber's car and put it on Vettel's car. And Weber was livid, absolutely livid. And as far as we can see, rightly so. Yeah, well, I mean, so uh, Christian Horner had some interviews and all this. And, you know, he, of course, oh, we deny that we favor Vettel and all that. Um, So he said, first of all, the new wing wasn't necessarily, like, way better. And I think the lap times showed that. I mean, um, you know, Weber was was in opening practice when they both had the wing. He was 0.6 seconds faster than Vettel. Uh, But in P3... um, you know, uh, Vettel was only faster by three hundredths of a second. Right. So it's not a huge difference one way or another. But then, you know, there's so many other variables with the car and the drivers and weather and everything else. Um, but it's not like it's, you know, oh, you get the high grip tires and you get the low grip tires. So I, it wasn't far and away like a, a clearly better package. Uh, but Adrian Newey uh, really did uh, pressure them into saying, you know, because uh, I think a lot of other teams would have said, okay, if we only have one, we're going to keep the car as comparable. You know, we, if we don't, if right. we only have one, we don't run it. We just do it next time, or whatever. But Adrian Newey has such influence in that team, and and he's earned that. Uh, that they said we need to run this, we need to develop this because this is you know the new direction we want to take our aerodynamics and how we want to develop our car. So they had. So Adrian says we have to run this wing. Uh, Christian Horner basically sort of had to pick which car to put it on. Either guy that lost out would have been frustrated, and. Um, so they said, okay, well, based on championship position, based on the driver feedback from practice sessions and all that, we're going to give it to Vettel. And, uh, and you know, the interesting outcome of that, of course, now that Weber is ahead of uh, Vettel in the championship, if something like this happens again, and I am sure Red Bull is doing everything in their power to ensure that something like this does not happen again. Sure, of course. But if it does, uh, some, you know, something for, for Germany, even though, yeah, it's Vettel's home Grand Prix, and obviously there's a lot of Red Bull support there and all that, um, you know, that, that Weber would get the preferential treatment. But Right, and I just don't see that happening. And I think the other thing that's really interesting about this is that, um, uh, you know, Adrian Newey having the influence he has makes sense, but I think 
Christian Horner really should have and could have stepped in and said, no, it's the wrong thing to do, especially considering the fact that um, all the previous indications uh, were showing that Weber was just as strong as Vettel and, and just had, had just as good a chance of getting pole and everything else. On top of the fact that there's already been tensions um, between Weber and Vettel about one getting preferential treatment over the other and some evidence kind of leaning that way that uh, Weber was not getting the same treatment as Vettel. So, you know, it, it was a, a poor move in terms of driver morale and keeping the team together and everything else, which is something Red Bull prides itself on. So I, I think that's a big thing. And, I, and, you know, Weber had a very snippy comment or snarky, I believe is the word we came up with. <laughs> um, after he won the race, uh, Red Bull came on and said, hey, you won the race. Great job. Really well done. And Weber oh, responds, and Mark Weber gets on the radio. Yeah, not that, bad oh. for a number two driver. <laughs> and Christian Horner, it didn't even sound that thrilled to sort of congratulate Mark on the victory. It wasn't like, he yeah, didn't. we did it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of what he said, but just the tone was kind of like, oh, okay. yeah, oh, I absolutely agree. And uh, and Vettel uh, or, or Weber, yeah, and then he just goes, yeah, not bad for number two. Huh? I mean, it's just getting that knife in there. Uh, what's funny is then, so they, there's an interview with uh, Martin Whitmarsh, uh, McLaren, um, because uh, you know I think they know a lot in the in the recent era about. Uh, you know, team rivalries and all that. I mean, from from the Lewis uh, Fernando year mm-hmm. uh, and all that, sort of saying, okay, if you have the situation where one guy gets a part and one guy doesn't, um, you know, Martin Whitmarsh uh, just made it pretty clear. He's like, hey, first of all, we try to avoid that, but secondly, if we are put in that situation, you know, we have to um, we have to have everything everybody consistent. You know, there's just it's not worth the tiny bit of time on track, or I mean, it's, it's not a tiny bit. I guess it's a lot of time on track, but it's not worth the car development for the team just camaraderie and the teamwork to fall apart that much. And I think that has been a dramatic difference in McLaren from, you know, Lewis Fernando to Lewis Jensen, where we've, you know, with all these videos from McLaren, we get out, I mean, they, whether if they're just, or even Lewis, uh, Heike, which was uh, so unnatural because they did videos together. Yeah. Which was just kind of weird because whatever is Heike Kovalainen, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, it, I think McLaren has just dramatically and in the last three years really seen the value of teammates really working together. And I really hope this doesn't come back to, to haunt um, Red Bull. I mean, because later in the year when, you know, when these championships come down to, you know, one point or same number of points and just on victories or whatever, I mean, there's no question this is going to be close. Uh, and when, you know, if, if Weber continues to drive Vettel off the road in various situations, right, I mean, right. you know, if they had handled that differently, Red Bull as a team would have more points. That's almost a given. Um, whereas, you know, yeah, Weber personally uh, came out better, but uh, this really could back come could come back to haunt them. And like you mentioned, you know, even if the, he's got the trick, fancy, amazing new wing, um, if he gets spun off the track and uh, has to go, you know, go to the back and re- work his way up from 24th, that's not making all that huge of a difference. Uh, so I think that's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting parallel. And uh, you know, so Mark Webber has even also said, uh, you know, I wouldn't have re-signed with Red Bull. Yes, if, I know. I if, mean, you know, because they just renewed his contract uh, through the end of next year, and. Um, and says, hey, I wouldn't have signed if I knew it was going to be stuff like this, you know. And so I think they're going to have some serious discussions in Milton Keynes tomorrow. Um, just, you know, who is the, the lead driver and who's who's not and yeah. what are our priorities. And Well, I think my favorite question was uh, asked. It, it was in the post-race press conference. Uh, Ed Straw from Autosport said, Mark, you said there would be some discussions with the team. Does that mean you will be demanding that you should – that should the situation arise again, you don't get cast in this position – where you are the number two. Mark Weber's response? Yep. <laughs> I mean, I think that sums it up. Weber 
was very angry on Saturday, still angry today. I think the win was and kind of an I told you so type of you know vindication for Weber. And I, I think sheer Australian will was was forcing that car along at the launch from the number two position. I don't there was Mark Weber was not gonna let anything happen. You know, he was not gonna give up. Yeah. He's not going to give him an inch and literally did not. And, and it's a little bit unfortunate, actually. Sorry to interrupt you, but Vettel really didn't do anything wrong. Vettel didn't say, give me Mark Weber's wing. Vettel didn't say, give me Mark Weber's wing. Vettel didn't say, I deserve this. Vettel didn't do anything to Weber this weekend, at least. You yeah. Know, it's really, this isn't, and no one should consider it a Weber v. Vettel thing. Yeah. It's- Vettel was really an unfortunate third party in this whole thing. And almost, you know, kind of like, you know, Mark had to vent his frustration somehow, and Vettel was the kind of the uh, you know the one that received that. But it you know it's really beef with the team. Yeah, or he's the you know yeah the the darling you know brother. Then it's like oh our parents always loved you more or whatever. Yeah, I mean it's not really Vettel's fault, but it's just kind of how it is. Oh, I'll show them who's the first, you know who's the second driver and all that. Right. Uh, so yeah, Christian Horner has you know said oh we'll, we will act differently at the next race, and you know oh, oh well you know partly. Uh, now that you know Weber's ahead in the championship, then he's the guy we need to give the most support to. But also, uh, you know, just yeah, we gotta we gotta avoid the situation in the future, and uh, I I hope they do for their sake. But uh, I mean, so credit to Vettel for um, sticking with it, you know, making the most of 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 what he what he ended up with. I think all the way to eighth place, I'm with you. Yes, but then uh, there, you know, he caught up. Uh, a group of cars, and he got past Michael Schumacher. Mm-hmm. Very easy for him. <laughs> but anyway, he caught to, he caught Sutil. They were racing for seventh, and this was on I don't know lap forty six or something like that. And Sutil would not let Vettel by. He was driving very very well. Yeah, there was a good what five or six I laps. They were they were running for five what? laps. Yeah. And then uh, next thing we know, Vettel literally came in inside and bashed his way. Around Sutil. Yeah, it was on the final lap, um, and and just uh, oh, it was, it was the second to last lap. Yeah. Second to last, yeah. And uh, and yeah, just uh, just muscled his way through there. Um, and then you know, once he was passed, uh, Vettel did you know start bring a, a pull out a pretty big gap, even oh, though at that point his tires were you know the whole race minus one laps old. Uh, but uh, and, you know, so it was obvious he was faster. But you know, Sutil was doing all that he could and doing a great job of it of being like, yes, my car's slower, but it's not that much slower, and right. he's still making it really, really hard to get around. Right. And uh, with all these, uh, with all these sort of windy S complex, you cops and maggots and beckets and all that, it was you know every time Vettel would just catch right up and then not quite right. be able to make it, and it was great. And Jim and I are all for tough racing, but we just thought that Vettel's paths on Sutil was less than clean. I think it rubbed all of us kind of the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And not, uh, we don't think that Vettel should have gotten. To penalty or anything like that necessarily but we just just a bit of poor form more than anything else yes and either way sutil held on the car he did you know he did still finish eighth and everything else was cool so that's cool um but yeah i don't know uh overall not so bad but fantastic for weber i mean well Vettel's job would have been so much easier if he you know if if you know, maybe cooler heads or whatever if he hadn't had to work his way back from the field. But I think, you know, for working his way back from the from the back of the field. Right. Did sort of the Given best Given that circumstance. Out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Ferrari. Um, Ferrari. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay, Alonso, third spot, right? You know, great qualifying. Terrible start. Lost like three positions, I think, right at the right at the at the outset, and uh, and then you know so you know going, it was, but it was solid after that. He was what fifth or sixth, yeah, behind just Kubica, kind of running there for a while, and then had this dice with uh, with Robert Kubica, um, and 
you know, not that's a, where it really fell apart. Yeah, and uh, and so it was, you know, one of these, uh, you know, could go kind of either way, kind of you know, racing incident, whatever. Where um, you know, Kubica pushes him really hard, and 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 he, you know, Alonso um, is sort of pushed off track on one side, but says, okay, fine, if you're going to cut me through the chicane, I'll just uh, I'll just stay on track and get back out in front of you. So um, I think it's. I think the facts show uh, Alonso did gain advantage by cutting the track. Right. He kind of had to cut the track just because of there was a car uh, pushing him right. out that way. So right. unless he just mashed the brakes and stopped and let everyone go by and, and continued on his merry way, that's sort of his only choice. And yet it's still pretty clear that given that circumstance – uh, given that circumstance, he could have also backed off when he, he, yeah. he saw Kubica was there, and he didn't. And yeah, I he think passed I think and he stayed ahead. The and, right thing to do would have been, yeah. So you have to go off the track. Okay, you get you end up in front of him. You back off, let Kubica go by, and then make your pass after that. And I mean, I think it was Hamilton a couple years ago that did that famously. He cut the track, let. Um, was Raikkonen, wasn't let it? Let Raikkonen buy, but did so in such a way and then that he got right like, oh, in his draft. Buying. Yeah, got right in his draft and passed him right back again in the next corner legitimately. That counted. All was good. And, and that was the end of it. And was later penalized for it. But, yeah, it was tricky. Um, but so but for Alonso, so uh, – and then – okay, and then – and I think unrelatedly uh, – the you know Kubica's car retired like a couple laps after that, um, right? And so you know, and, and you know, Alonso and the stewards have not gotten along lately. Uh, Alonso and the FIA with safety car rules, and I mean, he's been he's been on the radio a lot, has a lot of complaints about uh, the way things have gone, and uh, so I, I hate to be the guy to announce to him that. Okay, yeah, stewards looked at the, looked at the uh, you know you passed, you gain advantage, uh, you get a drive through penalty. Um, right around then. The Saubers were falling apart. <laughs> Pedro De La Rosa's car. whole, you know, side of his wing came across. So they actually had to call it a safety car to, to uh, clear off the track. And uh, so there was, there was, you know, it would have been nice if, if uh, Alonso were able to serve his penalty during the safety car and get that out of the way. But you can't do that. So it was like you have a penalty. You have to wait until after the safety car uh, period to serve it. Oh, by it. the way, all the cars are now bunched up. Yes. Uh, so it was, you know, a, a bad situation gone worse for uh, for Alonso. Um, and, and where did he finish? Fourteenth. Yeah, fourteenth. Right place. in front of his teammate Massa in fifteenth. Yeah, and so, poor Massa he had a puncture right at the beginning of the race, so he was kind of hosed from the beginning, and then things didn't get much better from there. Yeah, so I mean, it's just yet another crappy race for Massa. I mean, this happened in Canada early on, had a problem, and was just tooling around in the back of the field for a yeah. long time uh, last weekend or last race again, and uh, so it's just like a series of just dismal drives, and it's it's hard to say. I mean, if it's really Massa's fault, if if these things were avoidable, whatever, if it's car problems, whatever, but it's like. Man, that sucks though to have that many to be in you know our, you know the most famous team in Formula One and all that, and uh, to have a, a driver languishing like Massa is right now, it's uh, it's kind of unfortunate, but that's that's what they've got. But uh, I guess with Alonso's moves, you know, we've seen a couple of these uh, now, you know, just sort of forcing the issue, like it's sort of um, the expectations being put on him are just a bit too high for what that car can deliver, or where, that he's putting on himself. Yeah, we don't know for sure. But. Yeah, that uh, to just really push a little bit too far and then end up getting penalized or just it's it's. Not a great situation, but, uh, uh, you know, so, you know, Ferrari was, was understandably upset at that penalty, uh, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's no good, but, uh, man, Ferrari's got to get their meeting on a yacht going or something well, it, and get that know, stuff sorted out. I think part of the problem is it, it, the competition has gotten so good, and there's such good money behind, you know, the Red Bull teams, the uh, Red Bull teams, the Mercedes, everything else. There's some really smart people, some really good money 
going uh, to these different teams. So Ferrari just doesn't – it can't have the power play and the dominance that it once had. So it's just a tougher go for them. Yeah. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, Re- uh, McLaren and Jensen Button and Hamilton. Yes. Hamilton was brilliant today. Uh, super, super quick. Way faster than anyone thought he would be. Mm-hmm. And um, despite all these handicaps they had throughout the way- weekend, was the only car to keep Weber honest. Yeah. And then Jensen Button, I, what happened? It was the same car he drove yesterday. And all of a sudden, he's quick, he's consistent, and he's yeah. It's like they had the ten places pedals mounted backwards or something. And then, yeah. oh right, oh we sorted that out. Here's your thing. So we didn't see much of Button because there was so much other you know on track drama and all that, including uh, as a real quick mention when uh, Vettel was uh, um, you know almost getting lapped by Weber when you know Weber was charging in the field yeah. and running yeah. as fast as possibly could, and Vettel was was sort of stuck back there. And unfortunately, or fortunately, maybe I the, think uh, fortunately, uh, you know it was all put off because Weber had to dive into the pits and uh, and do his pit stop, but. You know, there could have been a, a moment on track between the uh, the Red Bulls. So we were watching a lot of other stuff. But quietly, Button uh, made up, I think, what, four positions in, like, the first lap? Just kind of in, in well, the— Well, six, four of them being positions gained and two of them being punctures and people falling back. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, just solid drive, really. I mean, yeah. uh, and, and so that's arguably, in the words of Damon Hill, kind of a tortoise and hare situation, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm is he, is right. he opportunistically plodding along and— uh, Plotting opter- opportunity, yeah, what yeah, you said. Whatever. Wow, I can't talk. But yeah, I, uh, poor Damon Hill was trying to give uh, Jensen Button a compliment, saying, oh, he's a tortoise driver, um, you know, kind of slow and steady wins the race but that type works. of conversation. Yeah. And, and that works. And uh, Jensen said, I'm not a tortoise driver. I'm fast. <laughs> I'm also quick. I could be <laughs> young and feisty. Yeah. And so. it's like, Jensen, it, 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 it's not saying you're slow. It's just saying that, you know, you know. and it, I, I, <laughs> Don't get mad, Jensen. Agree with Damon Hill. I think Jensen, more than anybody, is really good at saying what's the right pace for the race and picking it and managing the car. Because if you think – I mean Jensen's car fails almost never. His tires hold up really well. He's very, very good at thinking about a race. He's not as good at that single – Balls out, one hot qualifying lap. He's not bad at it, but it's not his strong suit. Yeah, and you know, reading Damon Hill's comments, I mean, telling you, know, plotting is kind of not a not a great plotting thing to be opportunistically. Uh, but that wasn't Damon Hill. That was the writer. Yeah, but as a uh, you know, that as, as a race driver. But I mean, being opportunistic, I think makes good sense. I mean, and, and can win races if uh, you know, yeah, if Vettel car, Vettel's car fails and he's just right there being reliable, right. and he can go on and win. You know, there's there's. I think that's a good way to be, and uh, yeah. So Jensen had a, a solid race today. Was able to you know get a lot of, you know ten places from his terrible terrible. Qualifying. But he said on Saturday that the car was undrivable and that he was in 14th place. And if the car is anything like it was today, he's not going anywhere from 14th place. I mean, he was writing himself off yesterday. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's super quick. So I want to know what the heck what happened. Like where where did all the speed come from? Why are you fine all of a sudden? It's just like were you like just you know, missing a gear, and you're like, oh, I was driving this corner. I'd, I'd love to have more of an explanation of why he was so much faster today than yesterday. Yeah, and that was even, I mean, it even kind of reminds me of of the of last year where it was like, you know, LeBron, he was on fire. He's like winning almost every race and all that, and then comes to the Britain and was like, oh, is it cold temperatures and the tires aren't working or is, you know, is everyone else caught up or what's the deal? But it's just like, it's just like a light switch, you know, and unfortunately, you yeah. know, it was just like, oh, brilliant performance down to mid-pack. And uh, yeah, so from qualifying to the race, apparently there's uh, there's something... 
I don't know. He's uh, he's a switchable tortoise or something. But uh, but then uh, Williams just uh, two races now. They're they're some they did something right. Yeah, two uh, top five finishes for Barrichello. Uh, you know, good qualifying from Hulkenberg. Unfortunately, had to retire uh, last race weekend. But uh, you know, they Got, both, both managed scored tenth place today. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's you know a, a, another team that's just quietly developing and all that. Right. Um, and if you look at their budgets versus some of the other teams, I mean, they're they're doing very well for what they have. Yeah, um, and actually, it was just mentioned um, this uh, this past week that Frank Williams is stepping down as I think chairman. He's still. Uh, I forget that the titles are tricky. He's stepping out as, I or, as team CEO, principal yeah. or something. And but so, he's still – he's like basically – He's saying, I don't want to do the office and the marketing stuff anymore. You guys can do that. I'll still run the race team. I will you know, make all the calls on that stuff. But it was their chief operating officer that actually took over for that. Yes, sort of like, CEO. Yeah, but we got to fly all over the place and meet with companies and stuff. He's like, I don't want to do that stuff anymore. Yeah, I think he's still, for all practical purposes, the head of the team. He's yeah. still, you know, He still runs it. It's just that he's trying to give – his uh what's the name of the guy that took over i'm sorry i don't remember i don't, I don't have it in my notes. he's trying to give his employee the title that suits his what work he's doing which yeah. is you're he's functioning as a ceo in many aspects yes but frank still runs the team yes and they've also said they've they want to continue their relationship with cosworth and uh keep using cosworth for power and uh and, and cosworth actually is, is very happy about that because other than williams they're really only supplying kind of back marker teams right now and uh and cosworth is like hey our big you know return to f1 and we're you know have been one of the you know winningest engine manufacturers in F1 and all that, and have have been at, at times the class of the field. I think they're still just second to Ferrari they're, in terms yeah, of winning engines. You know, they're saying like they're not going to continue that relationship and improve their developments and all that with just supplying like HRT and Lotus and these guys. So um, so they're excited to be partnered with with Williams. Although it's it's tough to say if if that's a good call for Williams. You know, if they can sort of make that technical partnership work and uh, get some good development with the engine, the car, and all that well, stuff working thing, together, then then that's good. But right. One thing they said is that it's, you know, the rules kind of drifted away from them a bit. Like it was just becoming such a big money manufacturer's play that will, that Cosworth just couldn't keep up with. But now it's kind of contracting again down to a size that Cosworth can work with. And the other thing that was really interesting to me is Cosworth kind of hinted, hey, we had a great relationship with Ford for many years where we worked with a manufacturer to help develop, and we had really great success with that. Something like that would be pretty sweet. And Which uh, they're not going to get with Williams, though, is, is one thing. That they're noticed. not going to get with and Williams, but maybe they could get with Ford. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Ford needs to come back. Yeah, and, and it's funny because while they were playing that clip of the interview, they had all these shots of the Lotus car going around, and they're not a major manufacturer, but it's a car maker. Yeah, and, yeah Malaysian company. That is money, true, but, whatever. I, but, I mean, Lotus doesn't even build engines. I mean, all their street cars are Toyota-powered and all this kind of stuff. So oh, Toyota. They should be an F1. Ooh. Oh, wait, no. Yeah. That, that, that's not going to work. No, but uh, it... it it, it's interesting. I think it would be sweet if, um, you know, someone like Ford came back into it at some level. However, what, ironically enough, the people that own Cosworth are Gerald Forsythe and uh, Kevin Kalkoven, who are the who were the owners of Champ Car before Champ Car yeah, was US finally dissolved and became. Guys, yeah became any car but they still own cosworth apparently so cosworth is i can never i never quite understand the cosworth relationship with all these different companies because like audi owned them for a while and like ford and like these these guys and there's like different things that are also that are called cosworth and it's like i i can never keep track of uh exactly what what company cosworth is that makes the race engines and who exactly owns them and how the whole history works out but uh either way yeah it would be cool and and it's um 
you know, that's sort of like what Ferrari has talked about with a new U.S. team saying, hey, we're a, not a major manufacturer, but, you know, a manufacturer with a huge name in auto racing. Um, and I think they see Red Bull and kind of how some of the sex, success Red Bull is able to have. Having you said a, Red Bull and sex. I heard that. Sort of. That was a Freudian, Freudian, <laughs> Freudian slip. Now I'm... All right, go ahead. I screwed up. Uh, they see the junior team and the senior team and how that's been able to work and you know, having Vettel go through STR and then move up to Red Bull and all that. And I think but Ferrari, that's the only one. Ferrari sort of says we want that. Um, I'll, well, well, we'll talk, man. Uh, your boy Buemi is, uh, is doing all right. but Yeah, but is he going to – But, you know, Ferrari wants to tie right. up with a team, you know, tie up with, a, with an American team and sort of it, it sort of makes business sense and all that. And I think that's what yeah. Cosworth there, is looking and for. And there is still talk. There's been some American people going to uh, – talking the uh, – The Cypher group. The Cypher group, yeah. And the, I think he, the, it's the guy behind YouTube that is still one of the major financial it's like, yeah, partners. Yeah, Chad Hurley's advisor Chad Hurley. or something. Yeah, Chad Hurley's advisor. That's exactly right. Yeah, but we don't have any uh, you know new exciting news on the U.S. Uh, team front yet, and of course, uh, as that comes out, we will be happy to bring that to you. But we are past halfway in the season. We have something special. This is a, a good opportunity to uh, let's sort of take stock of what's going on. We did this last year, and uh, let's do it again. The teammate comparison. Yay! So, Woo! in order of championship points, um, let's uh, let's let's take a look at, at what's going on. So, McLaren. Uh, is uh, leading the championship. And uh, so we've got Hamilton and Button. Hamilton has out-qualified Button seven times in ten races um, and finished higher seven times and won twice. Yes. Now, you have in your little notes here, recent trend favors Hamilton. Fair enough, but... After 10 races, they are only separated by 12 points in the championship, which is the equivalent to five points in the championship last year. They both have two wins. They, um, they've found very different paths up the mountain, but they're both pretty well uh, far up the mountain. I think, I think this has actually proved to be a very good and very close partnership. Um, so I would, uh, I would say I would agree that Hamilton has been the stronger of the two in the last two or three races, but I think overall and still, it's a very close and very good partnership. And unlike many of the other partnerships, they've um, they've taken that uh, competition against each other, that rivalry, and found growth out of it as opposed to adversary yeah, made, and made adversity work and, and, and built yeah. from it. But uh, yeah, so I mean, both with two wins though. Is at, at the end of the day, and like you mentioned, they're I mean they're. They're one, two in the championship, so yeah. you really can't do much better than that. And those aren't the teammates we have beef with. But let's let's go down the field here, and we'll, we'll see <laughs> we'll see where we go. Uh, so next, of course, is Red Bull. Um, Mark Webber has 128 points. Vettel has 127 points. So, I mean, so that's really is it really that close? I didn't look. Before. Oh no, no, oh, it's 121. Sorry. Okay, I was going to no. say that. I've got so many numbers on my screen right now. So, but Vettel has outqualified Webber six times. Um, but out of out of ten, that's six and four. It's right. not it, that yeah, it's, close. It's not. It's not. Uh, not crazy. Uh, Vettel has finished higher five times. So um, they are dead even there. Uh, but uh, yeah, Vettel with two wins. Weber with three, just from today. And Weber's the only one this year with three wins. That's right. And uh, and I mean, at the end of the day, what matters is the points. And Weber has more points. So, who are you going to give it to? I mean, I don't know if we if we have to decide. No, we do. Okay, Weber. Me too. <laughs> I, I, Weber's the better driver this year. Yeah, I and mean, no one, no one would have thought that last year. Um, I always, I always thought I've been pretty consistent in saying Weber's a strong driver since he's been at Red Bull, and I, even when when uh, Vettel was moved up to the senior Red Bull team, 
And everyone's like, oh, you know, he's going to own Weber. I was like, oh, no, 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 I don't think so. But, I mean, I was not expecting this. Yeah, and there's no – I mean, there's no question um, – Vettel certainly can have a great great career. I mean, yeah, whether he's the next Michael Schumacher and he's just getting started and could go on to win a million championships and all that, that's fine. But as far as where it is right now, um, you know, I think people were so quick to write off Weber as like, oh, they they kept Weber on at Red right, Bull. Right, uh, Oh, they've got Vettel, and who else are they going to have, you know, in the sort of the offseason and all that. But, yeah, I think uh, I, I'm I Yeah, think I mean, lots of there. rumors with uh, Raikkonen coming back in 2011, all kinds of things. All kinds Because Raik- Raikkonen now has a relationship with Red Bull in World mm-hmm. Rally Championship. Yeah. Year. So, yeah, okay, we both agree Weber. Ferrari. <laughs> Ferrari. So, Alonso has outqualified Mazda <laughs> seven times out of yeah. ten, um, finished higher six times, with uh, and has one win and 98 points, mm-hmm. compared to Massa, who has 67 points and is not very good. So, Alonso's definitely been a bit of a whiner, but there's, there's no doubt. I mean, he's extremely good. And the Ferrari car has been less than great, and F- Alonso has... I mean, it's been obvious. You could see it. You can see it when when uh, someone consistently qualifies poorly, and both people qualify re- fairly poorly, but then one just seems to keep getting more points in the race. Just goes to show. I mean, Alonso is extremely good at racecraft. Extremely good at managing a difficult car. I mean, remember he was having that uh, a few races ago. He was having that gear change issue. And he had to like floor it in the middle of a corner like just to get or something. No, I don't know where. Yeah, uh, but- and he still managed to be competitive and not really. I mean. Alonzo is a fantastic racing car driver. Yeah, and even then his car blew up, so that was his retirement. And yeah. Whatever. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Alonzo all the way, I think. Yeah, that's, absolutely. Masa's no just, doubt about it. I don't it. know. Massa's just really falling off for me. Uh, Mercedes, though. <laughs> all uh, right. Regular listeners will expect uh, <laughs> probably expect what we're going to have to say about the teammates there. Uh, but let's go by the numbers. Nico Rosberg has outqualified his elder teammate eight times. Out, out of, of how many? Out of ten races. Ten races. He has yeah. placed higher Eight times out of ten races, and it's, what's funny is putting this together. It's not always the same races. I mean, everyone, you know, the, you don't, it's not that everyone that qualifies higher oh, finishes yeah, sure. that race. I of mean, course. there's all kinds of stuff that happens in between. But Rosberg has ninety points, nine zero. Uh, Schumacher has one retirement that was in Malaysia and has twenty six points. No, thirty four points now. He's got thirty point. That 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 number you got must be um, from. From before the British Grand Prix. That yeah. must have been Formula1.com messing with me. Okay. Um, so my other numbers might be screwed up too, but uh, <laughs> be that as it may. Be that as it may. Uh, we got to give a lot of cra- – I mean, yeah, Michael Schumacher is Michael Schumacher. Um, yes. But, we, I mean, we got to give a lot of credit to Nico Rosberg. I think it's, you know, for, for you know, who, who ought to be able to get the most out of a car – engineered by Ross Braun and all that, you would think Schumacher would just come out and own it, and Nico Absolutely. has just done brilliantly well to uh, to do what he has. Absolutely. Uh, Mike Schumacher has 36 points. That's the, It's 36 to 90. That's the uh, all right. That's Who, the official number we're going with. All right. Um, next on the line is uh, the Renault team, which was almost not non-existent for a while there and was in all kinds of question after uh, Flavio Briatore gate and all that. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so – and this is a – I mean, you know, not quite a fair thing. So Robert Kubica um, – He's obviously the stronger of the two driver, but but Petrov has done very well. Yes. Uh, so Kubica has actually – is 10 for 10 out-qualifying Petrov. Um, uh, Petrov did finish higher once when Kubica retired um, and uh, got six points, all of which was in China. And how many points does Kubica have now? I have, uh, is, he's high up there. Yeah. He's, he's a lot higher than Michael Schumacher, I'll tell you that. Kubica uh, has – Oh, well, that's not it. Yeah, and well, well Kubica's one retirement was was today. I mean, it was you know when that, yeah, with that 80, car failure 83 today. Eighty three points. So uh, yes. eighty three points compared to Petrov's six. 
So there, there's there's no doubt that uh, uh, Kubitz is doing a better job. But Petrov um, has shown some speed. He's been inconsistent. But if you compare Petrov to, say, uh, Nico Hulkenberg or some of the other rookies, I think he's actually done reasonably well. And I think uh, not many people are going to argue with uh, – the level of talent Kubica has. He's very, very, yeah, very I, highly regarded. I think the corollary there is, you know, shouldn't Kubica be in a top team? I mean, Kubica and a Red Bull or something is just, that would be, uh, that'd be such a combination. Yeah, and actually this is something I wanted to mention earlier. The fact that Kubica has signed with Renault through 2012, I think is a bit of a shame. I think really he deserves to be in a Ferrari, a Red Bull, a McLaren, yeah. or a Mercedes. And it has been, as has as has been noted, uh, that's the same duration as Massa's signing with Ferrari. So after, you know, for 2013, yeah, that's way in the future, and who knows where Ferrari will be then, but um, that could be, you know, early stages of uh, some deal to end up with Ferrari after that. Or we all know contracts have been broken in the past. Very true. So there's that. Force India. Uh, and this one, there's actually been some, uh, you know, I, I've... I have referred so to... So we're, we're agreeing a lot here. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the numbers don't lie. Yeah, that's you know, true. We, we agree with numbers. We are um, numbers people. I think I, in the past, have, uh, have you know, claimed Sutil as the as the primary driver at Force India. I mean, he technically is. Um, and then we had some, oh, but Liuzzi's so good, don't write him off. Um, Sutil has out-qualified Liuzzi seven times out of ten. He has placed higher in races seven times out of ten and has only had, you know, one retirement and has 35 points to show for it. Yeah. And Liuzzi, I think, has had a bit of bad luck earlier in the season. I don't think uh, uh, we're not uh, we're not negating that fact, but um, I think Sutil is the stronger driver. I I, I, I yeah. do ultimately think that Liuzzi has shown some really solid performances in the recent past, but uh, Sutil is not falling off. Yes, and Force India is one of those teams that uh is is right there in the in the rankings right now where, you know, they 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 might score points but they might not. So the point differential is going to be a lot bigger whereas you know, McLaren has it has to go really wrong for them to not score any points. True. And uh and so yeah, I mean, Liuzzi has 12 points to Sutil's 35. And like we mentioned at the end of the day, that's what matters. That's uh that's really, you know, what uh what determines uh everything you know where, where yeah, you place sure. in the in the in the whole sport and uh and that's you know more than double the points so it's uh, almost three times the points so um really i mean good job adrian sutil and uh thanks for letting me hold your steering wheel that one time <laughs> <laughs> so okay williams this is another you know this is another uh, interesting one here um you know surprising I, I think i think this has surprised a lot of people yes um, barrichello uh you know seasoned veteran barrichello um old Very not schumacher old um, out-qualified Hulkenberg seven times, has finished higher seven times, has one retirement, and 29 points to show for it, um, compared to Nico Hulkenberg, who's had three retirements and only scored two points. Uh, so that's, again, they're, they're sort of, they could be in the points, they could be out, but with the uh, recent, you know, with, with a couple of solid finishes in a row, Barrichello has really done well um, to, to get some solid points, and they're, they're not in, you know, looking at the championship here, they're sort of way far out from that, but um, for, for mid-pack teams, um, and certainly if you sort of look at a trend, uh, they are really on an upswing right now, so huge, uh, huge. they uh, should be able to, to, to continue with that and do well. And, uh, but Hulk, Hulkenberg came in highly regarded, he's a reigning GP2 champion, he... Seem to be very quick. So it's actually, I think he's been a bit of a disappointment to Williams. However, it is always tough because it is his first year in Formula One. And the level of testing you can do these days compared to before, I think, is uh, part of, makes it a little bit harder. So the rookies have a tougher go than they've had in a long time. And so it is a little bit unfair. But I think really the surprise, more than anything, is how 
how well Barrichello has done. Yes, yeah. he's still he's still quick. Now that the car is recovering, he's been right up there. Uh, you got to give the guy credit. And we kind of thought with uh, you know, with the Braun, it's like, oh, even Barrichello is fast in this car. This car must just be amazing. Right. And it's like, no, Barrichello is actually, you know, still got it. And he's, he's doing his thing and doing well. So, uh, you know, I think we both like Rubens anyway. He's just, he's, you know, this nice old Brazilian man. He just keeps going, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to respect that, it's I like, are you going to retire? No. Um, so the next on the list in terms of the official F1 World Championship team standings is BMW, Sauber, Ferrari. And I'm like, BMW? Who the heck drives a BMW? <laughs> oh, right. It's the Sauber car. It's Sauber, Ferrari. That freaking name is still in there. Um, and this uh, is, uh, is is actually one of the more even ones. So Pedro de la Rosa um, has outqualified Kamui Kobayashi five times. They are, they're equal on uh, qualifying, yes. uh, qualifying pace, um, but only finished higher twice. Only had actually a higher result. Um, and for finished higher... Um, well, well, we'll talk about that in a second when I get to Kobayashi. But um, had one, uh, you know, one did not start, six retirements, zero points um, for all of his efforts. And all, you know, Pedro de la Rosa has had some, some well, great— Six retirements out of ten. I mean, that's that's a lot of car failures and all that. And, you know, de la Rosa was, was fast. But, you know, he was a test driver at McLaren for a long time. And, yeah, that's uh, and, very highly respected. And, yeah. you know, had a couple of race starts here and there as, as, you know, subs and all that. And wasn't, like, way off the pace. But, man, for everything that he's done, to have zero points after all that must be really frustrating, for one, with the, all the car failures and all that. But uh, Kobayashi, um, in pretty much the same car, um, has placed higher three times. Um, and the reason those two, but, no, those two numbers only add up to five is how many races they both retired out of. And so I don't give the advantage to one or the other. Um, they've both had six retirements. But Kobayashi has 15 points. I know. And I think uh, the problem is, is that he's out he's outplaced uh, him three times. But the last two times, Kobayashi has been well into the points. I mean, these last two races have been great for Kobayashi. Yes. He managed, I think it was seventh um, at Valencia. Passing, you know, Alonzo and Buemi uh, right in the last laps. And then this race he came out and he was sixth. So he's done very, very well. And um, and this actually puts, I mean, it puts him 12th in the championship. So he's, you know, Kobayashi is halfway. So for a car that has retired six out of ten races to still yeah. get ahead of all these other teams and, uh, and you know, and hold on to it that well, I think we've got to give credit to, uh, to Kobayashi for when that car holds together, uh, he makes it work. Yeah. And, I mean, no one's denying that De La Rosa has had a bad bit of luck. But... Kobayashi has been able to make some lemonade, and uh, De La Rosa has failed to do that. Right. Um, STR, um, we've got Sebastian Buemi, has outqualified Al- Jaime Algor nine times <laughs> out of ten, um, and uh, placed higher uh, four times out of those out of those nine. He's had. Uh, uh, you know, so that's a bit of a, a bit of a surprise that you know, even though uh, so Aguasuari seems to just not be able to qualify as well, um, but uh, has you know, Buemi's only only end up finishing higher than Aguasuari, uh, you know, four times. Um, Buemi has one retirement and has earned seven points in the whole uh, in the whole scheme of things. Uh, yeah, Aguasuari, uh, you know, he's vastly improved over last year. Yes, he's had a year to grow up a little bit. He's had you know, calm down a little bit, learn a little bit more. Uh, about Formula One, he is still he still hasn't gotten to the full year point. He replaced um, Sebastian Bourdais Bourdais fairly late. Yeah, but um, you know it's uh, you know. But he's, he's finished he's, higher than uh, than than Buemi like six times. I mean, he's really uh, you know it's like whatever goes wrong in qualifying or maybe he's just not good on a single lap, but he just seems to be able to either be lucky or be there when the other cars have problems or whatever. But, uh, yeah, but I, I think Buemi's I had him, a fair bit of bad luck. Uh, yeah, well, 
I, I do give Algashwari credit for, um, you know, doing well, you know, starting from where he has been and actually, you know, finishing well and usually uh, ahead of his teammate. Uh, but he only does have three points for, uh, for you know, for the year. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, I, I would give it to Boemi between the two. Yeah, I would say, well, I guess uh, I think I'm actually going to I'm going to disagree with you on that. I'm going to I'm going to say Algashwari because I think he's uh, more on the way up and. Um, sort of again, sort of trying to look at the trends and figure that out. I think if he can get his qualifying sorted out, or if at least they're they're real close to each other, um, I feel like he's just been able to do more with what he's had. Uh, yeah, but that, than, make, that, make, that makes Boemi sound like a has been, and Boemi's like twenty three. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he's it's not like it's not, he's it's old. not about the age. Okay, it's about the mindset ah, or I something. See, I see. I see. Uh, then the next three teams we have to mention have zero points between them. Um, starting with Lotus, um, so we've got uh, this is a, a good match here. Kovalainen has outqualified Truly five times, placed higher than Truly four times, and has had five retirements. Um, and, and these numbers are a little bit screwball because with the retirements, especially the first couple of races, we yeah. had so many car problems and, and, and issues that uh, it's a little hard to compare. But Yarno Truly has, uh, you know, again placed higher five times. It's, they are they're very uh, uh, very equal on that stuff. Has had four retirements, uh, so this one could really go either way. Um, but it can't. We have to pick one. Truly, Kovalainen. I think. Uh, yeah. I really do. I. I, I think. Uh, I think. Uh, it's tough. I agree. But I think. I think Kovalainen has been a little bit stronger. Just yeah. a little bit stronger. Except that Truly has finished higher than Kovalainen one more time than he has. So that's in my book that's stronger. But there you go. Uh, Your book doesn't look at the subjective. It's all numbers. <laughs> it's all numbers, baby. Uh, Virgin Racing, we've got Timo Glock and Lucas Degrassi. Uh, Glock has outqualified uh, Lucas nine times. And, mm-hmm. you know, Glock is a lot more experienced race driver. Not not even that much, but, I mean, just having a year in some yeah. in well, F1. Yeah, well, he had that full year with Toyota. Yep. And, and uh, uh, you know, he, he Glock was in Formula One uh, for with Jordan, did some off and on stuff. Went back to GP two, won the GP two championship, then came back to Formula One. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's actually been around the scene for a while compared yes. with Degrassi. So, so yeah, I don't fault uh, Lucas for for you know only only out qualifying Glock once, and actually you know good job uh, out qualifying Glock in a car that's definitely got to be difficult to drive. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, but Glock has has placed higher three times, um, and these guys again six retirements for Glock. It's uh, that that obviously hampers uh, all your all your specs when you know six out of ten races you just retired and. Uh, don't get any good result at all. Uh, Lucas Degrassi has uh, come higher than Glock three times. So uh, even though, yeah, he's only one for 10 on out-qualifying, has, uh, you know, three for 10 uh, out-qualified Glock, but that's probably just times that Glock retired. Uh, and has had five retirements. So uh, that's, you know, it's hard hard to say in between there. Um, but uh, as far as all the retirements and everything, but, uh, I mean, Timo Glock is, is clearly going to be stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Now, finally, for last and least, we've got HRT. With Senna versus Chandok. And technically Saikon Yamamoto as well, um, who has <laughs> yes. outqualified his teammate zero times yes. and come higher than his teammate zero times. Yes. Uh, but Bruno Senna um, outqualified Chandok eight out of ten times. So clearly a better qualifier, able to get more out of that car in single laps, um, but only come higher than than, uh, than Chandok in the race once. Yeah, and that, I that's I was surprised actually, by that. Both numbers are surprising. I thought I thought they were a little bit more even with qualifying. Um but uh, I, I didn't know that it was so weighted in terms of race finishes. Yes, and well, Senna's had six retirements to, to uh, Chantox two, so 
that could just, you know, is probably just car kind of luck, like which car holds together. There's probably so many other car so issues and all that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if that has anything to do with the driver holding the car together or driving it indifferently or whatever, Chandok does seem to have some magic uh, over the pace of over the course of a race that uh, that Bruno Senna does not because Chandok has come higher than Senna six times. And to be fair. Uh, and you know, once over Yamamoto. So seven out of ten races, Chandok has beat his teammate in terms of race performance. There you go. And the other thing that I think uh, Chandok deserves some credit for, the very first time that he ever got into that car to, to drive it, it was qualifying at Bahrain. That was the very first time he got in that car other than to get a seat fitting or something. So, I, I mean, he's had zero testing, zero practice before he jumped into the car and started racing it. So I think um, that should be at least weighed into the fact that uh, Senna's gotten to know the car a little bit better. Maybe that helps him push it a little bit harder in qualifying. Yes, and so um, even though, you know, I mean, anyone who likes F1 can't not be at least at some level a fan of Ayrton Senna and uh, and all that. Um, and you know, it's yeah, Bruno is his nephew. Except maybe like diehard Prost fans or something. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, I really, I just, I, I really just like Karen Chandock. I mean, it's uh, it's really cool to see him um, just come out and do well, and and even not having the super famous name behind him and all that. Um, and just you know, looking at these specs uh, to see that you know having having finished as strongly as he has for these backmarker teams, um, I. Good job, and I think it would be great to see uh, to see Karen Chandak in a Force India, you know, in a car that's capable of some, you know, points finishes, uh, top fives, podium, whatever. Indian driver, Indian car, yeah. There's some nice balances there that make sense. That could work. So, what do you think on HRT? Are you are you Chandak as well, or do you like Senna? Yeah, I think I think I think I am Chandak at all. I feel it's a little bit unfair to Senna, um, but at the end of the day, just like say the numbers don't lie, and just the the, the racing we've seen. Chandok seems to do quite well. So I think I think considering where they started, yeah, I give it to Chandok. Alrighty. Okay, yes, you've heard plenty of us talking, so it is time to hear from you. This time round, uh, we had three comments about our last podcast. It did come to you guys a little bit late. We do apologize for that. Um, but again, that is what you chose. So uh, deal with it. Deal with it. Ah. <laughs> but yeah, right on f1show.com, you can uh, you can leave comments there. And we had three from uh, from the past show. Um, yeah. So we want to thank Rab Robertson and Rants on F1 for uh, commenting commenting yet again. But uh, we wanted to go ahead and read from Tony Bird, who also commented. He said, "Hi guys, I've been listening to the show since the start of last season, but this is the first time I've gotten touch. Great show. Thank you for getting in touch, Tony." I remember the 107% rule being introduced in 1996 because of a team called Forty, who were so slow in 1995 that most commenters and the other teams referred to them as mobile chicanes. Or maybe it was just Murray Walker, he says in parentheses. The team started 10 races in 1996, and between their two cars, they recorded nine failures to qualify. Um... Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, goes to show you exactly what was going on, uh, with that 107% rule. Yeah. Cause I mean, we've talked about this with, uh, the current teams, you know, I don't think any, any, anyone yet this season, you know, maybe at round one, but we haven't looked back at the numbers, you know, anyone would have actually been outside the 107%, you know, like Kovalainen was still within 107% when Mark Webber crashed into him and all that. So we we sort of look at the 107% rule as like, 
yeah, we don't want any cars that slow, but there aren't any cars that slow right now. Right, but this is right. a, a great example, yeah, that, uh, you know, he says sort of check this because, you know, remember, you know this, this is all some of this on, from Wikipedia and all that. But, uh, I mean, it, it, it goes to show that, yeah, certainly that, that rule can affect um, if you've got cars that are that slow. And, and I uh, think these days, you know, a team like Forti, Bernie Ecclestone wouldn't even let him race anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, Tony goes on to say, hey, wasn't Weber trying to pass Kovalainen for position, not lap him? And that is true. That is absolutely true. I think Kovalainen was trying to just let him buy because he knew he was so much faster. Yeah. Um, but it was actually for position. Um, so and uh, his, thank uh, you for correcting us yes, on that. And his last, uh, last statement, uh, as an Englishman, where on earth did you get the idea of tartar sauce with fish and chips? You should try it. It's, it's amazing. really good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it came from like every time you ever get fish and chips here in the States, it comes with tartar sauce. Yes. So we just kind of figured that's, that's how it works. And it's good. Yeah. So good. So there we go. Um, we had the uh, usual flurry of activity. We have uh, all kinds of people on the Facebook page. Six hundred and seventy-three uh, people like us. Yes, six hundred and seventy-three. And so, like I mentioned, that's where I got the, uh, the the video of Mark Weber dicing it up with London taxis and traffic and all and that. There's been a lot of good videos about the you know Lewis Hamilton uh, Jensen Button banter. There was a great video where the two of them. Uh, got to sit in Ironton Senna's McLaren. Yeah, cool and then yeah, them trying to build the car without the team, which was yes. a little bit more staged and a little bit cheesy, but it was still cool still to. Uh, I mean, I guess for us, even just seeing you know an F1 car in a different state than we normally do, and just kind of seeing the drivers messing with it and stuff, it's just still kind of interesting and, and, uh, and exciting. So um, a lot of also good coverage from uh, uh, various fans, a lot of them in England that went to the Goodwood Festival of Speed and have some videos of uh, these drivers going up the hill and uh, and doing all that. Um, but, yeah, specific uh, thanks to uh, Will Carver for posting that uh, London Pit Stop video. But, uh, man, Paul Peard, it's like he works for us. It's great. He's always posting stuff. Rob Evans, uh, Jacob Paul Macri. Peard, an unpaid intern. Yes. Doing a very good job for us. Thank you once again. That's right. Um, and then I've got to say to uh, Cam McGrath, man, the, the fired-up Aussie, he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's like, live-tweeted the race to me, like, to, to our Twitter feed. Um, it's like, oh, man, Weber, can you believe? Oh, that's great. So uh, And you're like, we're tape delayed. We're tape delayed. I'm, like, I'm reading it, like, two hours later like oh man i wish i was there to respond to you because you yeah. had all these comments but yeah uh, this is race three out of four of coverage on fox which is one of the major networks here in the states but because it's uh because it's fox and not our own speed channel they don't cover it live it's at noon uh which is what five o'clock in london so uh you know, and it's shortened a little bit. We don't even get the we don't even get coverage of the interviews at all. Yes, uh, and so then uh, you know, so earlier today, because uh, you guys haven't heard from us on Twitter or Facebook in a little while, uh, I just sort of uh, made a quick post mentioning, hey, we're working on the show and all that, and uh, you know, it's it's great to get some people. Uh, so even. Uh, uh, Emily and Matthew and uh, Billy sort of say, hey, yeah, looking forward to the show and all that. And, uh, you know, so B- Billy on Twitter says, you know, Shumi certainly has got something to think about uh, after, after you know, the race today and all that. And uh, yeah. I think we've we've covered that pretty well. Um, and actually, Matthew uh, Vennard um, says, you know, why didn't Ferrari tell Fernando to give give the place back? And uh, which I think because I think in the race car, I mean, he knows he went off track, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have the advantage we get to see from outside of the car of kind of, you know, what happened um, in the lead up to and who was ahead of whom and all that. I mean, I think uh, at the end of the day, he knew what he happened, known, but, but it, I think I agree that the race team should have been there to, to right. check on that. I mean, I, I, think I agree with that. in the car, you're sort of like, oh, if I got away with that, if no one says anything, then I'm good. And it's up to the team to sort of like look at the numbers and look at say, oh, can that be considered? you know position and all that so uh, i think that's uh, i think that's a good point and um yeah and then uh, and then tim asked if we uh, if we tried kangaroo tv in canada no i did not have kangaroo tv i did at, at long last i had a data plan on my ipad so i could follow some of the data some of the uh some of the race that way but um 
No, I mean we were we were sitting, uh, you know, at the exit of the chicane, so I was pretty far away from pits and having any idea who was actually, uh, you know, what was actually going on. Uh, Frankly, sort of though, for, for I mean, position. I don't, don't really see the point of that. I mean, I've seen kangaroos on TV before. It's not that exciting, <laughs> especially during an F1 race. Yeah. It doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, nice. But uh, having, I think actually having an iPad in the stands uh, works pretty well. And the guy next to me had Kangaroo TV. So if anything crazy happened, he'd go, oh, oh, my God, Hamilton. Ah! And then I would look at the TV, and it was great. So, uh, you know, it uh, worked out well. Trivia. 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 <laughs> okay, so last trivia question I thought was a good one. It was different. It was change of pace. We talked about the safety of Formula One. That was as a result of Weber's super-duper flip, um, seeing the sky and walking away from it, which really, really was pretty incredible to think that two weeks uh, prior to decisively winning the British Grand Prix, he was 30, 40 feet in the air in Spain Yes, in a Formula One. You know, he, he didn't escape entirely without injury, though. He did have a bruised toe. His bruised toe. Better than a bruised ego. Anyway... Uh, the question was, what was the first year that Formula One drivers were required to wear fireproof safety suits? And the answer that we came up with um, that seems to have some evidence behind it is 1963. And that was the same year they also had to wear full visor helmets that, uh, that, year, that year on. It was also the same year that uh, flag signals were introduced. And the other thing, though, that was a little bit uh, controversial is – we're not controversial, but uh, made us – a little less certain about the answer to this question was we found we found that answer on the Formula One website itself, FormulaOne.com. I went to a different part of the Formula One website, and they said that the FIA racing suits didn't require – weren't required until 1975. So I think what's interesting is, is that technically the wording is different. In 1963, you were required to have fireproof safe, uh, uh, safety suits. And in 1975, you were required to have flame retardant suits. <laughs> yeah. So I think, uh, I think maybe it's a wording thing and a phrasing thing that the suits were first required in 1963, but maybe the modern suits as we know them today kind of came in 1975. That's the best I can come up with. But technically, the answer to the question is 1963. Yeah, and uh, so uh, all credit to, uh, to Rab who commented on our post and, uh, and had that answer and also mentioned um, seatbelts weren't uh, compulsory until 1972. Which is, I mean, it's so wild to think of. It's like nine years of like, oh, yeah, fire. We got to watch out for, you know, fire suits and, and you know, we got to have helmets. And we got to, it's like seatbelts. Yeah, you don't really need those. But, I mean, as in a race car, which is kind of a unique situation, as often as not, it was not necessarily a bad thing to get tossed from the car um, in an accident. Because a lot of times the car would end up in flames. And uh, if you were still in the car and stuck, you were also in flames with the car. Fair enough. So it's uh, just kind of wild to think. Not of, you the know, safest thing to be in in the period. In either the 60s, way, yeah. Either I mean, way, frankly. that's that's a good point. That uh, you know, either way, but it's it's wild when you think of you know how quickly regulations are changing when you know the safety car rules change one race two weeks after uh, there's some confusion about the safety car or you know the rules be about passing behind safety car. You know, it's like all these things are changing so rapidly. To think about you know these things that go on, it's you know nine years in between these kind of regulation changes that yeah. are pretty big things. So well, the one thing that I think that would be really astounding is to say, well, what is the thickness of the FIA safety book in 1960 versus the thickness of the FIA safety book for 2010? <laughs> you know what I mean? I think it would be quite a bit thicker. Anyway, we are moving forward. There is a new question. It has nothing to do with safety, and it is, 
The fact that the newly cons- newly configured circuit at Silverstone now covers 3.66 miles, which is over a half, which is about a half mile longer from the 3.17 miles that it was last year and before. This makes it now the third longest racetrack this year, shorter than Spa and Bahrain of all places. With the extra useless bits yeah, in Bahrain, Bahrain could stand to be shorter. Uh, so the question is, what was the length of the Silverstone circuit for the 1950? British Grand Prix. Yeah, Silverstone has had a lot of configurations between, um, you know, after World War II and today. Yeah, uh, from the very first configuration, which I think was 1948 to now, it's almost, I mean, it's pretty much reckoned. Yeah, it was, it was runways and it was access roads and a combination and all that. Uh, so, yeah, so the length of it in for the 1950 uh, for the first race of the Formula One World Drivers Championship uh, season. Yeah. That was it? And that sound means it's time for predictions. I'm excited because I, I rocked out last week and happened to just get really lucky or whatever and, uh, and had, a, <laughs> had a great run at predictions. And uh, I am just super excited to see how my predictions for this week went. Well, frankly, I think you're lucky because you were talking last podcast. I think our listeners will remember about how McLaren's coming back. It's yeah, the they're British coming back. Yeah, it's British. They're going to be huge here. And they were this close from just – Totally uh, falling apart. However, yeah. Once I saw Friday practice, I was like, I am screwed for predictions. Thanks, thanks to your boy Hamilton, um, they did recover quite a bit, and it was in fact Hamilton uh, of the McLaren drivers that you picked for both pole and to win the race. Uh, you were of course wrong, but he did qualify fourth and he did finish second, giving you four points. However, which is better than you know I could have done. I said no. I disagree. I think Mark Weber is going to want to prove something after what happened in Valencia. Plus, I think he's going to be wicked quick. And I was pretty darn close to right. He was second in qualifying, and had he had a super duper wing, maybe he would have been first. You were you were right just as much as you were wrong, I guess. If you were uh, wrong for pole position, but uh, right for the race. But I was right for the race, so I scored one point to your four. You owe me three cokes, and now I have got eight race wins to your two. S my B, friend. S my B. And okay, moving on. The statistical model had a bit of bad luck because the statistical model said. Um, statistical bad luck, that is. The statistical model said that it was going to be Vettel Vettel because Vettel went ahead and uh, was on pole in one of the last races. It was wrong. Vettel was indeed on pole, but if only managed seventh in the race. So the statistical model, wow, it is time for that fish and chips. I'm yes. running out of energy. Yeah, this, this man needs some tartar sauce. <laughs> um, got six points. Um, and also, we were going to give a quick shout out to Rance on F1, who also predicted with me, saying that it was going to be Weber Weber. So he's sure he enjoys the same one point that I did. However, there's However, a caveat yes. to that. He, fin- he went on to say, I also predict that Schumacher will score points and beat Rosberg for that prediction, which of course was wrong. There is a 50-point penalty for saying such a thing. That is a big, big shame. That is 51 points for Oh, you. man. The Rants fans are not doing so that well. That is unfortunate. The Schumacher so. beat Rosberg. It was nowhere close. Yeah, and, we're uh, going to have to. So it says one right now. We're going to say, nope, 51 right there. Yeah, and sorry. Let's so, see. Well, let's, let's check so out the you total won. score. I Tied with the model and uh, no, and, you beat the model. Oh, I beat the model by one. You and, had, uh, no, you beat the model by two. I can't do math. <laughs> and uh, apparently, so neither that... can Rance on F one because uh, man, Schumacher. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, Jim, you now have a total of one hundred and seven points. Uh, not too bad. Uh, I have uh, I have fifty six, and um, and the fans 
who were doing pretty well, but now have 160 points. Oh, that's, that's too just, bad. That's yeah. just not looking too good for you guys. It's really not. Okay. So that is a shame. For next race, it is the German Grand Prix at Hockenheim. And, uh, you know, there's been all this drama with Vetter. Vettel and Webbit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Fish and chips. We usually eat dinner before we do this. Yeah, this, this, is, this little, is tough. This is hard, guys. All right. Um, Hamilton on a resurgence and all that. Yeah, whatever. Um, I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> the Red Bull is clearly the car to beat. The, the Red Bull, yeah, they, they just have it figured out. But Hockenheim is a little bit tighter. Right, but Vettel gets the better cars these days. Yeah, so, very true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually going to do a. Uh, a I'm going to repeat uh, what what happened today. I think I think Vettel will just pip Weber for the pole, but Weber will come back and win it. I think he so will. So you are agreeing that with work. the statistical model. Oh, I guess sir. I am. Yes, you yes. are. What do you? What about you? Hmm. I don't know. Well, see, it's it's tough for me because. Um, because you know I'm going to be right, but you don't want to say the same thing as all three of us. Yeah, I mean, and your previous record shows that that's, that's that the trend. But I have way more points than you. Yeah, so uh, it's tough for me because part of me wants to say I think Hamilt- uh, Hamilton and McLaren will be stronger again. Uh, they a lot will, of you wants to say Button will be strong, but you know that's not quite going to happen. It does not seem to be, uh, certainly not for Pole, but... Um, I'm looking at uh, McLaren maybe sorting out a couple of their bits that didn't work this weekend and putting them back on next weekend and being strong again, and that being a consideration. I'm also considering— All right, stop stalling. Just come on. What's the— <sighs> You clearly haven't thought about this yet. <laughs> no. I, I, at the end of the day, I can't disagree with you. I, I think I'm going to have to double up and say Weber, Weber again. All right. I think that's what I'm going to do. So we've got a lot of faith in Weber to, to win this race and for the Red Bull to just be the class of the field for qualifying again. Well, if I'm not mistaken, he won Germany last year. And uh, I could be mistaken. But if I'm not, he won Germany last year. He did very well. I think I just, I think he's going to do well. Vettel could also do very well. It's going to be very close between the two of them. I think that Ferrari's clawing back time, and I think that McLaren could be stronger again. They still have a huge amount of work to do to really get past these Red Bulls. Oh, man. What if the Red Bulls take each other out, though, and our predictions are way off again? <laughs> Can I predict that? No. <laughs> uh, but, and, and, and as, as always, we want to uh, hear your predictions and your feedback and your answers to our trivia and all that. So uh, there's the, the best way to, to uh, do all that is to go to F1Show.com. From there, you can see our Twitter feed. You can see our Facebook information. You become a fan of us on Facebook. You can post on there, and it's a, just a great wealth of information and something you'll want to follow anyway. Um, you can email feedback at F1Show.com. Plus... It'll make you better looking, younger, and attractive to the women. To the women out there, to the ladies. And to the ladies, you'll be attracted to the men. And who doesn't want that? Plus, cures cancer. Yes. Maybe. So That's uh, not proven. All I, right. I, I, this show needs to end. It does. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Uh, visit us at F1Show.com and uh, tune back in in two weeks for coverage of the German Grand Prix. Until then, I am Jim Lau. It'll save the whales, too. And who are you? <laughs> I'm Robin Warner. <laughs>